Please listen carefully. And also, I've started and stopped this literally 400 times. Hello again, nerds, and welcome to another thrilling episode of Everyone and Their Sister. My name is Christina, and I'll be your solo host for this episode. It's a brand new segment called Dining Alone. We'll do one of these episodes whenever only one of us gets a chance to go catch a movie, read a book, or see a TV show, or the other ones have seen it but maybe don't have any feelings on it and a conversation would just be fucking terrible. In this case, my dumb ass decided it would be a great fucking idea to go watch A Quiet Place alone at night and then return home alone like some kind of fucking idiot. Thanks to my incredible ability to constantly forget that I actually do not want to sit through a horror movie alone, am a weak baby, and never want to be scared ever again in my life, this is only one of several times I've been in this situation, and so to make it myself feel better, we're gonna say this is an episode, and suddenly it's okay. I didn't do this because I make terrible decisions, I did this because I am a strong person and you guys need to know how we feel about this movie. So let's go with that. For those of you who don't know, A Quiet Place is a movie that was written, directed, and starring John Krasinski and his wife Emily Blunt, along with three miscellaneous child actors. The movie takes place in the not-so-distant future, I think it's supposed to be 2020 or 2021, where there are these new kinds of creatures that can hear you by sound, and that's how they hunt. They can't see, but they can hear everything, so everyone needs to be super, super quiet, nobody's wearing shoes. Everybody knows sign language. There's like a ton of elements going on about how it works, but generally no sound. If they hear you, they're super fast. You're going to die. And so will probably everyone around you. So shut the fuck up. It makes for a super interesting theater experience. I have never been more self-conscious about eating popcorn in my entire life. Now I was able to get over that in about 10 seconds and then just start chowing down But you could sort of feel how everyone in the theater was immediately like, ooh, my bag is is very loud. Why did I choose to get candy? Everyone who had a soft snack was suddenly so excited. And I will have to say, I never considered that a drink would be louder than popcorn. But let me tell you something. A drink is 100% louder than popcorn. That sound, that straw, the gulping, all of it, it was disgusting to listen to. It was disgusting to do. And it was so incredibly loud in a movie that has barely any sound. And that's the main thing. It's about the theater experience. And that's one thing that this movie did really, really well, is by creating a movie that had virtually no dialogue and actually didn't have a lot of sound to it in general. Even when things were in a place where you knew nothing was going to happen, you were in one of those like relieved moments of a movie where you can be pretty confident, even in a horror movie, nothing's going to happen. Everything was really, really tense because everything was really, really quiet. And I think the default feeling in a horror movie and in regular movies when stuff is quiet is to just like immediately be on edge. And so even though the movie wasn't really that scary, you know, there are a handful of jump scares. I don't think there was any moment where I was like, I'm going to die. It it kept the tension pretty high because of that. Although I will say probably the most terrifying moment in the movie is when at a very inopportune time, the woman in front of me leaned back in her chair, rubbed my knee, and I just like dead froze. I was confident that the creatures had come for me. Somehow they knew even in a quiet room, they found the loudest fucking bitch and it was me that was going to die. 
It just like dead convinced in that moment. I was like, oh my God, this is it. This is over. What have I done with my life? And then after the second, you're like, oh, it's fine. It's a movie. But legitimately in that moment, I thought I was going to die. Luckily, I did not. And so you're getting this thrilling episode. But still talking about sort of the premise of the movie with the concept of there's really very little dialogue. There's not a lot of sound. Everything is very tense and heavy. Um, there are still a few scenes in the movie where characters are at a point where they're comfortable enough that they can actually speak to each other. It's all still relatively quiet, like nobody's using their outdoor voices, um, but they can, you know, communicate their sound, there's, there's noise. I thought it was kind of interesting. I think that those scenes, I won't say they inherently took away from the movie. I don't know what the movie would have been like if they didn't have them, but I wonder if it could have told a stronger story and maybe a little bit of a better story if they had taken those out. Um, To spoil it just a very, very tiny bit, there is a character in the movie who is deaf and that's supposed to be sort of an extra layer. Obviously no one can talk. This entire family knows sign language and you sort of learn why when you realize there's a member of the family who's deaf. But, you know, it sort of feels like maybe there's supposed to be an extra layer of a point there despite just that character being more vulnerable and i think maybe having characters who do occasionally talk to each other out loud in that way maybe undercuts that point a little bit it just it felt a little unnecessary to the movie it might have been stronger if it had been something that could have said you know we have almost no spoken dialogue whatsoever and they had ignored sort of those two scenes But ultimately, whatever, it was still pretty good. I mean, I'm talking about like three scenes in the whole movie, maybe at most. So solid. There's one thing that we got to talk about, okay? And it's every time the world, you know, is ending. We don't have internet anymore. Electricity is dying. People got to go live out on the fucking farms. And we got to do all this nonsense. Gender norms somehow reinforce themselves hella cray. This John Krasinski is the provider protector of the family. He's out there day in, day out, trying to keep them safe, trying to do all that. Emily Blunt, clearly very intelligent. I suspect, I could be wrong, I feel like there's undertones that imply that maybe she was a doctor when, you know, before the world went to shit, or maybe she wasn't. But she stays at home. She's teaching the kids when there's no more school and there's no more teachers. She's homeschooling them. She's taking care of them. She's doing the cooking. She literally cooks the fish that John Krasinski caught. And I think that there are certain moments where the movie attempts to like undercut those gender roles, but it just felt a little jarring. In 2018, you know, this is all going down, or I guess even further, 2020, this is all going down. The world is changing you know, we were reverting back to farmland. And so we immediately revert back to the gender norm um, and go back to gender rules. Now, it's one of those things where I think a lot of people can make excuses for it. Um, I don't want to give away too much of the movie, but Emily Blunt's character is in a situation where it makes sense that she would be home all the time um, in those moments and kind of like being the caretaker because the risks that she can take are a little bit lower. But I think that that's a mistake that was a little bit made with the female characters in this movie. When you look at all of the characters, they're all in a bad place. They are all living in this world where, you know, you can't make a peep. You will die. There are creatures that you don't understand roaming around and you don't know how to fight them. 
but particularly the two female characters are given extra hurdles that they need to jump over. It's sort of missed in the movie a little bit. So it would have been great if maybe that had been adjusted a little bit more. But I will say, I think there's things in the movie that happen that specifically happen to try to combat some of those ideas. So it wasn't completely terrible at it. I just think that maybe two or three years ago, I would have been like, oh, sweet, can't believe you did that. What a great way to do this movie. But now, even just a few years later, I'm like, nope, we're already past this. Come on, you could have done a little bit better, I think. Uh, if I had to give it a little bit more, talking about, again, the way the characters interact, talking about the emotion, the movie made a good decision, I think, in being an hour and a half long. To be honest, most movies are way too fucking long. So being an hour and a half is sweet. But I think it might have sacrificed some of the emotional appeal a little bit. I found it a little bit difficult to care about some of the characters in a way I really should have. Because you don't get a good chance to know them. Even the ones that, you know, you, you've known for quite a while. I think the only character who I was like, I was there for. Me and her, we had a connection. I wanted good things for her. I was... I was actively involved in what was going to happen to her was Emily Blunt's character. And whether that is purely because of her like solid acting or just the way that they crafted the character, maybe both. I was into it. I wanted things for her. But everyone else, I was a little like, okay, you're in danger. That sucks. Will things be better? Who knows? We'll see what happens. But overall, kind of a little flat, could have been a little bit stronger. But again, if making it stronger means making me like forcing me to spend more time with these characters probably not an hour and a half is probably a good length for a movie like this this is john krasinski's first directing job and first writing job i believe i believe this is the first time he's ever done anything like this and so he started in it and so i think a little unsurprisingly people are trying to compare it to get out quite a bit um it helps that they're both you know slightly unconventional ish horror movies or seem to be, um, in the case of A Quiet Place, they're, you know, directed and written by actors. It just so happens that A Quiet Place also stars that same actor, whereas Get Out didn't. And I think it's just an easy comparison for people to make. But honestly, I think it's a little bit weak. Get Out was very subversive. It was the point of it. It started the movie with the concept of, I have a story to tell, a really important one. And that's what we're going to do. And we're going to layer the concept of a horror movie over it. So it actually works because the whole point of it is that it defies conventional horror tropes and it doesn't do what you it doesn't do what you think it would do or it doesn't do what a normal horror movie would do. And that's part of what makes it stronger. It also helps that it's a story that's never really been told before. If you're looking at the underlying story of a quiet place, it's definitely like the struggles of a family trying to stay together, not just through this time, but there is some personal trauma that happens early on in the movie that they have to learn how to deal with. But it doesn't, it, it doesn't feel like it came from the place of that story being the most important thing. It feels like the emotional part of the movie is to tell you that. That's what's supposed to make you connect with these people. That's what's supposed to make you care about them but it doesn't feel like the driving force of the movie. There are actually some elements of the emotional part that I think if you had cut out, would have maybe made it a stronger horror movie, but then wouldn't necessarily be the movie I think it's trying to be. It's a little iffy. I wasn't completely sold on it. I definitely don't think that Get Out is a good comparison to make, but I understand why people are doing it. I understand what people want from it. And talking about, again, that sort of comparison of Jordan Peele versus John Krasinski, I think there's two very specific things to talk about here. I think when you look at Get Out as having come out, it's very, again, it's subversive. It defies tropes. That's the strength of it. That's the point of it. Those are important elements to it. So in making it 
that in making it out, it was very important to do things differently. A Quiet Place feels more like a first-time directorial run. It feels more like a first-time writer. There's a lot of tropes that it sort of falls back on. There's a lot of horror things that happen that you're like, okay, I'm in a horror movie. I know what to expect. That thing has happened. The jump scares were good, but I was never necessarily surprised by the movie until the very end. And I think it's two ways that you can go about making your first movie. You know, in Get Out's case, you almost have no choice but to make that movie through the lens of we're going to do everything about it differently. And it works great. And at Quiet Places, this is the first time we're going to be a little safe, but try to tell a story that people will be able to immediately re relate to and immediately understand through the use of those tropes. And it kind of worked. It was still a good movie, but definitely the comparisons to Get Out, I think, actually make it feel like a worse movie because Get Out was better for the things that it did do or even didn't do in comparison to A Quiet Place. And I think the best way to sort of describe what I mean is there was never a moment in this movie where I felt so entertained, so interested, so pulled in that I could suspend my disbelief. And to be fair, this is going to be a little bit me. If you're like me and you're really interested in world building and you're really interested in that, or maybe you're just a poker and you like to poke holes through things and find all the nooks and crannies that make people super annoyed because all you want to do is find all the ways that something couldn't happen. That's usually my, nat even without trying, that is my natural instinct in a movie. So you give me something like this where you're telling me in this universe, you can only make very, very small sounds because sound specifically attracts these creatures, I'm going to be like, mm-hmm, tell me all of the rules and let me tell you all the ways that those don't or do make sense. And if they do make sense, I'm so fucking impressed. Like a good world building where you've already figured out all of the answers to the questions I have, I love it. But that's going to sometimes be a boring movie if you're going to address all of the problems. I think that there's an attempt to sort of show how life is now that they've been living in this world for a year and a half. I think that they were smart enough to show you certain things, but there are certain elements of it where it's also like, excuse me, how did you get to that point in a year and a half? There is one scene and I'm gonna not spoil it, but I'm gonna go a little bit far into it. There is a small child, like a very small child, someone who is not cognizant enough to be able to know when to make sound and when to not. And they basically have like a toddler soundproof coffin with like a little oxygen tank for this child to muffle the sound. That's when I'm like, excuse me, I have questions. A, how did you come up with this? B, where did you get these supplies just lying around? C, at a certain point, when do you decide like maybe we shouldn't bring a child into this world? Like if you cannot control the sound of that baby, why did you have it? when it was that, like when this was still going on. I have questions for you. We really got to talk about this. And I think that's the biggest drawback in sort of trying to explain how entertaining the movie was. It never got to a point where I stopped asking those questions. It never got to the point when I was able to turn my brain off and just watch the movie. Because while it was really, really good, it was a little bit expected. There were a couple of things that were a little bit off-putting or that I don't think had the emotional impact that they were hoping for. So because of that, it, it's hard to turn off your brain and say, okay, I'm I'm not concerned about this. This is an important aspect of the movie. It doesn't matter. 
no until you give me something that is super, super interesting or a good reason for me to just turn my brain off. Those questions are going to come up. They're going to come up naturally. And I think they come up for lots of people in the theater. That's when, you know, I, my favorite thing after a movie theater experience is to just hang around a little bit and overhear people talking about the movie and all of the holes that they want to poke in it. I love that because I think that's where you get like the most interesting ways of people thinking and the ways to view a movie and I think that was a big thing again when you're talking about this movie it just doesn't get to a point where you can stop thinking about those things but all that being said you know those are all the negatives there's a lot of good to be had actually and I think a lot of it goes into the acting of Emily Blunt John Krasinski and even the child actors who are all pretty solid there is there was something really cool about the lack of dialogue and that they navigated the world without dialogue and the different things that you you saw there were elements of that that were so strong and what I really appreciated from this movie was the theater experience so the reason I wanted to get this out immediately the reason why I was willing to do this episode alone and create this whole new segment called dining alone was because I want to get this out there now if you want to see this movie you should watch this movie in a theater you should watch this movie with, you know, 200 other people who are just as tense as you are and have that experience. Because while I think the movie might actually be scarier in your own home that is going to be relatively quiet and have small creaks and small noises, I don't think you're going to get that like tension feeling of literally like 250 people holding their breath because they're worried that their breathing is too loud over the movie. There is something about that that's great. And while I don't recommend this and would never condone it, if this was the one movie that you forgot to put your phone on like vibrate or silent for and your phone went off, you would have 200 people literally piss their fucking pants in the middle of a theater and it would be hilarious because that is how affected everyone is by just small noises in this theater. Overall, talking about that, it was kind of hard to come up with a rating for this because I think it's pretty high up there. Like I have a couple of issues with it. I wouldn't give it like a nine or a 10, but I don't think it's worth a low score either because it was pretty enjoyable and it was pretty good. Um, so I decided to let the fates decide. Um, and after shaking out of all of the kernels of popcorn out of my bra, I am going to give this movie 7.5 uneaten popcorn bra kernels out of 10 bloody nails that someone really should have addressed earlier in the goddamn movie. And that is my episode of Dining Alone. Hopefully you guys like it um, and hopefully we get a chance to do this sooner. One of them with Nat, maybe one of them with Steph. You're going to hear from me a lot probably because the mic resides in my house. Thank you very much. Probably you get sick of hearing from me pretty quickly. Uh, but yeah, so hopefully this is good. Hopefully this works for you. Um, let us know if there's anything that you guys think that we should go see or go check out. I love me a good movie or TV show recommendation. And Stephanette would too, but also definitely book recommendations because they are far more willing to read a book based on some random comment on the internet. Just let us know. You can find us on all social media. So that's Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram because there are none other that matter. That's at EatsCast. Or you can email us at everyoneandtheirsister at gmail.com. For some reason, Nat and Steph love to get those emails. So keep sending them in. And because I forgot that we're supposed to be like shouting out different people who like our things and who listen to us and who comment, uh, I am going to shout out very quickly this episode to Courtney Summers 
who reached out to us after our last episode and was like a sweet angel sent from heaven and was so nice and so lovely that immediately uh, we all were like, we have to read more of her books. And so we started doing that right away because she was so awesome. You can find her at Summers Courtney on Instagram. And if you are a fan of really awesome, really like visceral and guttural Uh, young adult novels, definitely recommend checking her out. We talked about her upcoming book, Sadie, in our February Faves episode, but she's got a really solid back catalog that I've been burning through at the recommendation of Steph that's really great. So I recommend you go out, watch A Quiet Place in theaters, and then when you're done, read one of these books so you can literally just rip out your heart through your chest and just stare at it for a little while. And like me, you can also make bad decisions for your health. Thanks for listening and a quick appetizer for our next episode, another new segment, this one called Hanger Pains, where we go through all of the various pop culture, media things that are annoying us in that moment. And trust me, there are always several. We are naturally salty people. This episode comes with a high sodium content warning. Have a great night and you'll hear from us next time. Bye. I forgot to record the stupid fucking happy binging line. God damn it.